Do you ever feel like giving up? Thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And today we're going to be answering some questions from people who are viewers, parishioners. We're going to be talking about a variety of, of things. And this is really just going to be a catch-all program. <laughs> we're going to have a good time. So thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this time and space that you have called us to, to have these conversations and to answer the questions of our people. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom uh, and uh, assurance to, to speak boldly in the truths that you have called us towards. Um, be with your people, we pray. We ask in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I want to put a, a few ground rules before we jump into this. One, there's two things that we've been really bad at as a modern church. One, having real debates mm. where people disagree with one another and still come together and center around Christ Jesus and love the things which really matter. We've been really bad at that. We've had a lot of fake debates, a lot of fake conversations, and they're just all garbage. So today, we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff. Mm -hmm. And I encourage us to debate and have some different ideas, thoughts, and stuff. Let's just let's just actually talk about what's going on in our hearts and like be honest mm -hmm. and actually try to hash some things out. And the second thing that we've been really bad about in the church is discovering truth and being a institution of truth. You know, Christ comes to us and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The church is meant to be an institution of truth where people come to the church looking for truth. Mm -hmm. But we've kind of got so used to, we, we have confused loving people with affirming people. And I know that sounds really crazy, but we have. We have been so interested in, in bringing people and for the purpose of affirmation that we forgot that loving people sometimes means there are disagreements. Sometimes you reject some ideas outright. Sometimes you just got to put things in the proper place. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to have some critical thinking and we're going to talk about a lot of topics. Does that sound <laughs> like fair ground rules at the beginning of this? Yes. Absolutely. And Pastor Mike's got his hat on there. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, he got caught when the camera went to him. Okay, so we thank you out there for joining us. The first question we have is... The titular question for this show, ever feel like getting up? That title statement. Someone sent me a message today, and this came from another pastor, but I've actually heard similar questions from enough pastors that I wanted to put this out there. Hmm. And this actually applies to everyone beyond pastors. If you are a Christian, if you're someone who fears God, who wants to move towards the kingdom of God, and you find yourself frustrated because as you try to advance the faith, you want to oppose the darkness, but you feel like there hasn't been the fruits of that that you would like. If you've ever been in that position, and last time I checked, we live in between <laughs> the Garden of Eden and the judgment of the living of the dead. So you've probably felt this way at some point in time. And Amanda's over there laughing. Her reaction to this. <laughs> well, I just like how you like, I knew you were being sarcastic, but I just enjoyed it. You're like, yep, it's still been 6,000 plus years of human history. <laughs> yes, we are still in the fall. So we've probably all felt at some point in time, and this really is a derivative of the question, why do bad things happen to good people, good things happen mm -hmm. to bad people? I'm wanting to serve God. I'm wanting to do good things. Why do I feel so frustrated? So here's the question that was sent to me. They said, do you ever feel like you've had a time where you're completely inept at preaching, where you feel like you should just give up? Mm. And again, this did come from another pastor and probably referring to a Sunday or something like that. But all of us who are Christians, anyone who lives in this fallen era in which we live, you've probably felt like, I want good things, but yet bad things are here. So here's my answer to this, and I'm going to let Pastor Mike and Pastor Amanda respond to this as well. The brief answer that I have to this is, one, for whom are you preaching? Mm. Two, what are you preaching? Three, what then are the roots of that message? And you'll notice in that statement how well you are preaching is actually not mentioned. So going back to this, again, this applies beyond just pastors in the pulpit, whether you're, this is how you live out your life at work, solving problems that come up in your family, whatever issue you have, we're always doing something that is either advancing the message of God or it's decreasing it. And this can be whether we're fighting our personal battle with an addiction or whatever. So for whom are you actually trying to advance those things? For whom? Now, the language in that is pretty specific. 
And really, the reason why this question is phrased this way, or answer is, for whom are you preaching? This is about motivations and not intentions. Intentions are what we would like to see happen. This is also an interesting thing you find politically here in America. You usually find that more left-wing progressive things use the language of intention a lot, and they generally like to be judged by their intentions. We wanted to see a certain outcome. Where more right-wing conservative things like to talk about outcomes, what are the, the final results, and they like to be judged more in those terms. But in truth, biblically, we are to be judged by our motivations. And this is very different. Motivations are why you do things. Intentions are, this is what I would like to see happen. And even if there's failure, if you're judged by your intentions, well, you can say, well, it failed, but I had the right intentions. But that's actually not true biblically. We find a lot of people who wanted to see good things, but then they didn't do what God asked them to do. I mean, mm -hmm. the whole parable of the talents is somebody who said, oh, but you're, you know, a wicked tyrant master, so I buried your talent. Your motivation wasn't to do right, so you get scolded. You get thrown out in the weeping and gnashing of teeth there. Uh, motivations are really important. Whenever we are trying to preach, whenever we're trying to advance goodness, our motivations matter a lot. And the reason why I answer this this way first is because oftentimes we think we're preaching for a congregation, but who are we really supposed to be preaching for? And mm -hmm. I'll throw this over there, this rhetorical question to yeah. our other two pastors. Who is the real audience? You know, I think the call to proclaim the gospel is a call from God, Okay, obviously. And, of course, we're ordained and affirmed by the church. But I think it's it's it's... You know, there is this, for me, a calling to preach the gospel, regardless of, you know, how full is the altar. If we ever move in that direction, then I think you are trying to manipulate to get a huge altar call or whatever. But the truth is, I'm called to preach the gospel, which is God is king. And, and to preach that and being obedient, that is the the end result okay, okay. and the love I have for that. Obedience you had there is the key word. Yeah. We are preaching for God. For God we might yeah. be preaching to a congregation. This is where prepositions get really important. Mm. We're preaching for God. Hmm. And, and and congregation to, is the body of Christ. Sure. And so we, we are preaching for them as well. Well, to them. To them. But yeah. we're doing it. For God. Yeah, but everybody needs to hear the good news that God yes. is king. Everybody needs to hear that God loves them. Even if they know it, it doesn't hurt to hear it again mm -hmm. uh, and again. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you've had someone who's been saved, you know, 30 years or what, 50 years or whatever, they need to hear the gospel. And yep. so my, my calling says preach the gospel from God. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be faithful to that. And in all things, whenever we're in a dark valley, we say, you know, the fruits aren't here. I feel like I've, I've been getting opposition. If we are motivated to serve God, find your peace in that. Again, I checked my watch. We're here, which, again, I've got on Swatch watches, which means I've got two. You don't get into Swatch watches to wear just one of them. <laughs> um, both of them say that we are in the, the fall. Hmm. We're not going to get that affirmation from the world around us if you're really preaching God. If you're really preaching the good things of God, you're preaching the the law as it is, the salvation, we're putting things in their proper place, you're not going to get total affirmation. I don't know where the church got convinced, and there's a lot of people, including a lot of leaders within our denomination that have this mentality that says there is a lukewarm middle where everybody can like agree and there's not going to be any tension, any disagreement, <laughs> no division, no unity. That, that doesn't exist. And every time it's ever referenced in Scripture, it's done as a bad thing. Those who pursue that lukewarm sanctuary mm. are ultimately spit out by Jesus. That's not something to aspire for. That's that's actually pretty bad. But there's a lot of people who kind of pursue that. It's not real. It doesn't exist. And it only creates more chaos. So make sure that you are preaching for God and to the congregation. Your motivation should be to serve God. All right, number two, we're going to get on the question of what are you preaching? What are you actually doing? Mm. Because when you, you come to the question of, say, you know, I feel like I delivered that sermon really badly. That happens to me a lot. Sometimes you have a, a bad Sunday. Amanda's over there making a, a face that really <laughs> yes. hits true to this. I have come to realize that language is one of the most important tools we have. It's extremely important. Mm. And it's also one of the most abysmally decayed in our modern world. And here's where I'm going to make some people mad. Um, 
we should be reading the classics of literature and not modern commentaries. I think just period. I know a lot of people are going to be mad at that. It's true. When Elon Musk says you can learn anything you want to, going to college is only to prove you can do your chores, that is true. You go back and you read stuff like John Milton's Paradise Lost, a lot of the works from C.S. Lewis, even Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. You go back, you read a lot of stuff like that. The thinking is clearer. It's better. You will come out a much sharper person than reading a lot of modern writing, especially a lot of stuff that's coming out of modern, quote unquote, scholars. I've had a master's in science. And again, master's in science, not just master's of arts. You can learn more reading the classics of literature than not just period. But I bring that up because language itself is not the idea. Language is the tool we use to implement the idea in the world around us. And if we construct the language poorly, well, then we're going to have our ideas constructed poorly in our mind. That's why if we have hymns replaced by newer music that may not have as great of wording, that teaches people bad ideas. And it, it, it creates a lot of societal decay. It creates rot within the church. When it comes to our preaching, Our words are important, but even more important are the ideas behind them. And we need to look at the root of the ideas we're preaching. Where do they come from? Do they actually come from Scripture? Do they come from the world around us? There's oftentimes a temptation within the church, um, especially with young pastors, myself included, where you kind of want to come and correct bad theologies, and you you get so worked up in that, is that you, you start advancing another bad theology in return of that. Making sure that the the root of our message is actually connected to God is really important. And even if you you cook steak badly, it's still steak. (laughs) The language we use, the delivery we have from the pulpit is a lot like the cooking. The meal you eat, yeah, how you cook it matters. If you're eating grilled cheese, you can do that really well. You can do it really bad. But at the end of the day, it's still some variation there of grilled cheese. Even the finest craftsman who comes along to put together the best grilled cheese, you're still going to be eating grilled cheese. Even if somebody takes a steak and they maybe cook it a little bit too long for your preference or maybe a little bit too raw, you're still going to be eating steak. It's still pretty good. The ideas matter more than the delivery. The delivery is very, very important. Y'all hear me. Language is like up there in my things of that are important. So <laughs> up there that it's above the camera. You can't even see my hand. <laughs> It's not all the way up there with God, though, nor is it all the way up there with the transcendental truths. Hmm. They're even higher. So a lot of times we get really focused on our technique and our methodology, when in truth we should be focused on our ideas. And I don't know if any of y'all want to respond to that here while I'm talking about this. Uh, Amanda? Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. Um, they, they do warn pastors, right? Don't don't ever work on your resume on Monday morning. <laughs> um, because often Sundays can feel like a letdown. And I think, again, we are expanding this beyond just pastors or, or vocational preachers, that after a difficult day or week or year or whatever, we, we get that urge to quit. And especially with, when we're talking about techniques. And um, I remember preaching a sermon that I thought was very expositional. And honestly, I even was bored with it. Like, as I was preaching it, I was like, can this preacher stop talking? Um, and then I, I finished, you know, I finished, we get to communion, and I close the service, and we're, we're all dismissed. And somebody's like, wow, that was a really great narrative sermon. I'm like, I no longer know what these words mean. Yeah. I have no concept. Also, I only took one, actually half a preaching class. And we can blame a lot of different things for that <laughs> for that reason. But I don't know what I'm doing, especially and in, in with preaching, particularly the, the, the technical side of stuff. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so we can get bogged down by that. But then we if we take a step back, we can think, all right, was the good news proclaimed? And like Pastor Mike said, for, for him, if he was to reduce the good news into just a, a phrase, uh, is Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord. Uh, God is king, however you want to phrase that. But if whatever, however we want to kind of reduce that down to, what was that proclaimed? Was that message preached? And honestly, no, here's the thing. We do have to account for it. Like, like Pastor Dylan said, if you have a couple bad sermons, that's okay. But if it's continually bad sermons, people, you know, uh, my great grandpa had a saying, uh, the heart can only absorb what the butt can endure. Basically wrap it up, preacher. (laughs) Um, So you can't be sitting too long. So there is a need to be technically good, but I think we're all going to have days, whatever our expertise is, whether it's a preacher or a candlestick maker or um, a clerk at uh, at a grocery store, whatever you do, 
You're going to have bad days where you're just not feeling it. You're not good at it. But what do we do the next day? Yeah. And you you mentioned was the good news proclaimed. Did you? Again, maybe you're not a preacher behind a pulpit. Maybe you are. But say maybe you're, you're a parent and something's going on that shouldn't be going on. You may have not handled it with perfection. You may have not had all the grace and mercy that you wanted to, but did you assert the principle? Mm-hmm. Did you do it in a loving way? And sometimes, hey, we've been lied to about Christ-like love to think that it just looks like warm fuzzies all the time. No, it doesn't. It, it, it ha- <laughs> it's very serious. Jesus calls out people. He doesn't come and affirm bad behaviors. He calls people away from that. Did you actually assert the principle? Even if it was crude, and I don't mean crude in the way that it's like, voraciously, you know, haughty or something like that, but crude in the way that it wasn't constructed as well as you could have, you know, when you're in the shower looking back at it, you say, I should have used this word or that word. No, did you actually make the attempt to declare the goodness of God in that moment? And if so, then take solace in that because there's a lot of people who won't. Mm. You probably did not get the response you wanted. You probably didn't get the reaction you wanted to. But if you actually were genuine in saying, I'm motivated to serve God, and again, we need to remember that means serving God. A lot of times in the, the history of the church, we've tried to either reflect a particular nostalgia, and then we've called it tradition. Nostalgia and tradition are very different. Somehow mm-hmm. the modern church has gotten totally confused about this. Nostalgia is what two generations ago liked this music. Tradition is this is what the order of the church looks like and has been since the Didache, since 2,000 mm-hmm. years ago. We, we baptize people. We meet together on the Lord's Day. We do this series of things. We, we catechize people. There, there are things which are actually traditions. And those are very good to assert. Um, Understanding communion, the Lord's table, uh, how we bring people into the church, baptism. These are traditions which need to be asserted. Uh, Even certain values, morals, aspects of the Christian faith, those are things to be asserted. Uh, But when it comes to nostalgia, yeah, you probably, that doesn't need to be handled the same way um, and asserted the same way. But there's a lot of people who, in rejection of nostalgia, they'll start trying to say, well, let's make the church more palatable to the world. We want people to come in and we want people to feel the warm fuzzies. And you start to push away from being serving God. You're not preaching for God. Instead, now you've got an idol of, is this what I want people to hear in this day and age? I might be my own idol. Maybe the desire that this comes along smoothly and frictionless, that can be an idol. The fact that I don't want confrontation or I want the church to look a certain way or to have this sort of dynamic in it. All of those are idols. Mm -hmm. They actually are. The only one that that is the standard is Christ Jesus. Anything else we want to have as the standard is an idol. And and that's something which, again, putting them in the proper place. There might be something which is inherently good, but if you're motivated to serve that above Jesus, you're going to have some problems. Pastor Mike. You know, I think uh, for the whole proclaiming, whether we proclaim it from the pulpit, as Christians, we're all called to proclaim the gospel in life, uh, in, in life that we will, the live and the walk that we have as we, uh, you know, uh, encounter everyday activities. Mm-hmm. But the the gospel that Pastor Manu was talking about, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, the kingdom has broken in in Christ Jesus. It hasn't fully come yet, but these miracles of Jesus point to the fullness of God. And the miracles are those, those nature miracles of, you know, uh, whether he calms a storm or turns water into wine, and then and the miracles of abundance. There's the healing miracles, and Lord knows we have uh, so many people in this world that need that healing. And then there, of course, uh, exorcisms and stuff, and that God says there's no place for evil in in the kingdom of God. And we know that evil attacks, and and uh, a lot of our family members and different ones and. And even our sales feel like we feel the oppression of of evil trying to rob us and take us. Uh, you know, as as Jesus says, you know, uh, Satan comes to, you know, steal, kill, and destroy. And then there's the most important is the miracle of resurrection and life. And this kingdom is is not fully here. It has broken in. And all of these miracles of Jesus point to the kingdom and to share this good news. Because just like Amanda was saying earlier, you don't know, as pastor, we may not know how every person in our congregation has been under attack for the past week. Yet the good news gives them hope. 
in Christ Jesus, that the kingdom is available for those who will believe and receive. And so, you know, I I I feel like is you know preaching. It takes energy, it takes effort, it takes time and preparation, and there is this adrenaline rush. And like Pastor Amanda was saying, afterwards you just you, you do have that crash, and and you know it's it's not the best time to fill out a resume or anything. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we have to respond to God's call to share this gospel to the world. And it doesn't matter if you're an ordained elder or or you know a, a new believer. You still need to be able to point to the kingdom of God and point those who are struggling. And and that's good news. Okay. I'm going to take this in like a bunny trail okay. real quick. <laughs> you made the statement earlier. We don't know what sort of like demonic oppression has been going on in people's lives. And look, I'm, I'm here, 6186 Eaton's Creek Road. The doctrines of demons are real. There are the fallen wicked spirits which chose to reject God and they they wage war okay we don't always have all the information of everything going around with us mm. but that doesn't mean we are not called to make moral decisions mm. a lot of people will say well since I don't have all the information I need to wait that's been a trick of hell for a long time we still have to make moral decisions even when we don't have all the information last night I watched a movie, an Alfred Hitchcock movie called Rear Window. It's a phenomenal movie. It's extremely well done from 1954. It has Jimmy Stewart in it. And we're going to talk about movies later, but we're <laughs> going to have a bunny trail on Rear Window for a moment. The plot of this movie is a man with a broken leg is stuck at home in an apartment in New York and is watching his neighbors out his rear window. And after watching their behavior for a while, he comes to suspect that one of them has committed a murder and nobody believes him. Well, in that... It's a man with a broken leg sitting in a rear window watching stuff. He does not have all the information. Mm. He can't articulate everything that's gone on through other people's houses that he only sees through their rear window. It's, it's a very limited view. But yet, ultimately, he realizes if this man committed a murder, he's about to get away with it. I have to make a moral calculation in this with imperfect information, with all with imperfect set of of, of just data hmm. and he goes out on a limb and the movie has a great resolution I'm not going to spoil it do watch it because about half the movie you're like is there really a murder is there not it's only it's, 70 years old <laughs> it's only 70 years old but in that movie Jimmy Stewart's character has to make the decision and then also his girlfriend who kind of gets brought in on it as well she are you going to are you going to put your neck under the guillotine where if you're wrong, you're going to get in a lot of trouble? Are you willing to take the risk on the moral calculation? The Holy Spirit comes to us and says, actually, yes, you are supposed to do that. You are supposed to take those leaps of faith where mm. you are advancing the cause of the good, casting out the evil in a world where you are not God. We're not God. We don't have all seeing eyes. We don't have all hearing ears. But the church is meant to be a body of truth. This is found clearly throughout the New Testament. John writes about it multiple times in his epistles. He has joy seeing his children walk in the truth. The church should be a place of the truth. Pastor Mike. You know, that uh, the kingdom of God and Christ Jesus being, we're called um, to, we desire, it's just part of the human um, design to desire perfect truth, perfect beauty, perfect justice, and perfect love. And just as you were saying, there's something about just setting still and someone getting away with murder and not acting upon that does not point to the kingdom of God and perfect justice. We want to see perfect justice happen. And that's the whole beauty of preaching the good news is for us to reflect this perfect justice in the world, not to just be inactive and passive. Passiveness can be a tremendous sin. Mm. Pastor Amanda? And I think something to play off of that, too, and also in your your, exp- your analogy of uh, rear window, is oftentimes, though, that perfect justice does not get done on this earth. Never. Yeah. So and that's a lot not, of times yeah. it doesn't. And yeah. that's not an excuse for apathy. But we do see, and this is where, like, 
I think the gospel of Matthew really comes to us. It, it may sound like one of the harsher gospels, but a lot of times in the parables where other gospel will kind of just end after Jesus says, like, this is what happened, Matthew will go, and then they were kicked out to weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, Matthew makes sure that that element. But what he's telling his congregation is right now, you're not going to see evil destroyed and good win. You might yep. see moments of it, and yep. you have to work for those moments, yep. but you may not see them. And I think also that speaks to this idea of giving up, is it does feel like we're just hitting our heads against the wall or screaming into the void. Like, we're not, even if we have the right measuring stick, right? So we're like, okay, numbers aren't the right measuring stick, but even if we have the right kind of guidelines of like, okay, our people are growing in health and in uh, scripture, they understand scripture, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, not literacy, but... Um, yeah, big, biblical literacy. Biblical fine. literacy. That's yeah. what I was trying to go for. You know, we, we can say like, okay, our people are doing ABC, but even when we have those right measuring sticks, we can still say sometimes we fall short of them. Yeah. And we can feel like we're working and we're working and we're working and we're working and it's not happening. Our people aren't growing and, and we don't feel like we're hitting the benchmarks and we're not reaching people. We're not loving people. And But that's when we need to step back and say, okay, this might be a good measuring stick, but also it may be okay to recognize in this moment, we're not getting a hundred, but we're still working towards that hundred, right? So yeah. that we might've gotten a B plus, <laughs> but we're, we are working. And I think this is also where Dylan, Pastor Dylan made this distinction between motivation and intention. When we are motivated, sometimes we may still not win. But what are we working towards? Who yeah. are we working for? Yeah. And that yeah. doesn't decrease the feelings of failure and hurt and pain. And by no means are we diminishing those things. But those emotions are telling us something. Yeah. And often they're telling us to dig deeper. Yeah. And again, not to. And sometimes also those emotions are telling us you need a vacation. You yeah. need a nap. You need to eat. So listen to <laughs> those emotions. You need a sabbatical. Like, uh -huh. listen, Wednesday night was not a great night for me at church. It didn't go horrible, but it just, I was so angry. And then Justin looked at me, he's like, you didn't eat till five o'clock. Like I didn't eat till dinner time or actually yeah. six o'clock. We ate at church. And so he's like, you had no food in your body. So let's like temper the emotions with the recognition. You, you, I was out of whack. Like, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes it's big stuff, sometimes it's small stuff. Um, what is it? There's a meme going on that says like Elijah was really angry at God and then God said, go take a nap and here's some food. And then everything wasn't as bad as Elijah thought. Like there is real because we aren't just spirits with a body or a body with a spirit. We're a whole human being. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Yeah. I, I think it's important for to acknowledge that frustration mm. is because you care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that is extremely important. Yeah. And but at the same time, you asked uh, what was that question? What are the roots of the message? And and for me, the great joy I have found is that is I was trained in historical critical method of studying the Bible, and when I study that, it, I feel like it is no longer just me proof text and grabbing a scripture here or there and, and I know there are wonderful pastors who can probably do that but I know there are people who can do that and change it to their own meaning mm -hmm. and so for me when I when I uh, you know prepare in this historical critical method of, of studying the Bible and the passage that I'm going to preach I really feel like this is a message that God is helping me um, you know, with and that God is with me when I proclaim that. Mm. Well, here's where I'm going to contrast some things because I was always taught like not to use a bunch of scriptures mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's all changed. I've, I've realized you don't have to use, you don't have, the only reason why a preacher has a bunch of scriptures isn't just because they're proof texting. If you communicate with the biblical language, you can weave it together yeah. in a tapestry that honors it. You can. On a and multiple be true to it. And be true to it. Mm -hmm. And that's a art that is lost. And it's lost in a lot of churches like the Church of the Nazarene, because I, I don't think we put the emphasis on biblical literacy as we should among our clergy. And also, I know here's where I'm going to get everyone mad right now if you're in the Church of the Nazarene, but also with love. As as we say in um, Revelation 3.19, those whom I love I rebuke and chastise. So when someone comes to this, this question here, do you feel like you should give up? Mm. Well, first of all, one of the reasons that people feel this way is because they they don't feel like they're appreciated. Mm. 
And to your point of justice and judgment, God shows us two models for that. One, there is an immediate judgment and justice which is allowed to be enacted on this earth with with men and women being involved in the application of that judgment. Mm -hmm. And then there is the transcendental judgment, which will happen over the course of time, accumulating there in the hour of judgment. Uh, and the only only time I really see in the Bible those two things meeting at once is with Korah in number 16, where God opens up the earth and straight to Sheol, you know. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Yeah, do not collect $200, do not pass go, straight to jail, straight to Sheol. Um, you, you don't even have to wait to die for your final judgment, just right here and now. Doesn't always happen that way. Rarely happens that way. But when it comes to not feeling appreciated, there's also two ways that that unfolds too. Like, uh, are, am I appreciated in the moment? Mm. Because I'm not appreciated in the moment, I forget that God appreciates me in the long term. Mm. We do have a problem in American Christian denominations, the Church of the Nazarene included among this, and yeah, I'm, I'm giving a critique right now, where they value stories of people, but not souls. And that's going to sound really peculiar when I say that. But what this often means is we want a couple of really compelling moving stories and we, we hunt for those, but we don't actually value the people. And a lot of people who aren't invited to share their story feel rejected. And and I, I know that's the case of the person who ultimately wrote me this letter because the Church of the Nazarene, and here's where I'm going to really critique people, our modern world is obsessed with identity politics and has made it an idol. And there's a lot of denominations that want to play and flirt with that idol. They may not outright embrace it, but they like to flirt with it. And there's a lot of people who check a lot of these boxes on identity politics scale, or maybe they don't check all of them, maybe they do. And then when they're not invited to tell their story, they feel rejected. And a lot of people get really resentful. That's why all idols are bad. They're all dumb. They always make you dumb. If we value people as souls and the quality of being made in the image of God, that is our true metric. People aren't valuable because of their perspective, their credentials. You know, how good are you as a speaker? How great are you at convincing people of the gospel? That's not what God cared for. God did not die for you for those reasons. God died for us while we were still sinners. Being made in the image of God is where the value is. Mm -hmm. Whether you're somebody with an IQ of 70 or somebody who's out there doing rocket science, you're equally valuable in the eyes of God. And our denominations, many of them have forgotten that. And we don't value people based on that. We value them based on their perspectives and things of that nature. And that always creates chaos down the road because there are people who don't have as compelling of a story and they don't feel like they're appreciated here in the immediate. And that translates into I'm not appreciated here in the transcendental. Mm. And it's a bad premise to start from. We have to be constantly asserting where we put our value and to do it with clear language, to use our language well, to wield the English language as a beautiful tool to precisely take the gospel to people and carve that straight and narrow pathway where people see it. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is, this is something that, that, okay. To continue our critique. Um, and, uh, I do have a resume ready, so it's okay. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Slightly. Uh, it used to be right. We would measure church health by numbers. And then we yeah. got this grand idea that said, okay, no numbers aren't adequate. Let's do stories. Yep. And again, we're putting things in their place. We're not calling it evil. We're just saying it's not really good. Um, and we thought we changed our mind, right? We were like, we, we've grown from numbers to stories, so we've done better. And what we haven't realized is they're the same the beast. same, yes. And what we did yeah. is, now, again, if your church is the same 20 people over 100 years, that might be indicative of an issue you need to address. And when you have these great stories of people's lives being changed, those are amazing things to celebrate. Yep. But when we reduce the cosmic, universal, transcendental, to use uh, Pastor Dylan's language, love of Christ to those mere moments, we forget there's an entire life that is happening. But here's the problem. An entire life cannot be reported on nope. in five minutes <laughs> nope. at a district event. Nope. Now, we have to have a measuring stick yep. somehow, some way. So, again, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but we do have to put it in its appropriate yep. place. And the thing is, you can't exploit a whole soul the way you do a story. Yep. And a story and numbers are easier to use and manipulate and make us feel good for the moment and move on. Yeah. Versus if we have the whole person, and I, Pastor Dylan's using the language of soul, I'm going to say being. Um, it's, it's, it's this, it's, we're meaning the same, similar yeah. things, but 
when we don't address the whole person, when we don't communicate about, and here's also the problem with addressing the whole person. This one great story today may turn very tragic tomorrow. Yeah. Because we're human beings of free will. Yep. And also, we don't get our immediate results. And this is, again, why I've really been appreciating the, the Gospel of Matthew recently. We're not called to immediate results. Now, this doesn't mean we're not urgent in our in our mission, in fulfilling our mission. But we may not get the person to the altar that night. Or yeah. or if we, again, we, we think we've grown out of that bad ideology and we have more modern terms for the same problem. But we may not get them to come to church right away or we may not get them to even invite us over to their house to sit down for a cup of coffee right away. It may take days, weeks, years, a freaking lifetime. Yep. And that's hard to measure for just when you just have to measure the last year. And this is not a church of the Nazarene, unique to the church of the Nazarene. This is not unique to even the church in America. This is a problem the church has had to deal with for a long time because we're always fighting something, right? And then this is where we get fantastic words that say, what if, what if we weren't fighting against people? And this is more than just like swords and like shields fighting. What if we weren't competing yeah. against well, other human actually, beings? I, and I think there in lies this. I actually think the solution is really remarkable because we changed a lot of the metrics thinking we would change the problems. All the exact same problems <laughs> are still there and generally with the same exact people. Um, yeah. It's it's largely just rebranding. You you mentioned we have new modern language for the exact same problems. Yeah, it's because it's, nothing has changed. This is one of the places where modern technology has actually made things worse mm. because instant you go back, Yeah, the instant results. When you go back in time and, you know, you don't you you might come together for a big tent revival or something like that and we come together to hear some preaching and it's it's not meant to be a in the moment competition but it's meant to be this is our general celebration together and the bishop or whatnot comes and checks us on us personally well first of all the bishop actually knows what's going on in the churches when he does that and then two um the purpose of your larger assembly is a little bit different and i think the modern technology is actually failed us in this aspect because we've we've adopted a lot of business models and stuff like that and it's, it's just it's dumb <laughs> it's dumb <laughs> pastor mike yeah i think you hit on something that i thought was very key and that's the you know the competition sometimes not only of of the measuring things but there's even a competition among stories oh, and yeah. narratives and you know uh, it, again the kingdom of god comes to exercise you know, demons out. Jesus does this. We see this miracle. Yeah, get them out. Gone. And we love transformation, and we Mm -hmm. love to see those dramatic stories, and I think we just love to hear that and enjoy hearing, you know, somebody that was deep in sin being transformed out. But, you know, what about those beautiful testimonies and stories of someone who accepted Christ at maybe six, seven years old and have been faithful for a lifetime? And, And, you know, it's like, I I don't have, they, they feel like often, I don't have a story of yeah. this huge, dramatic transformation. But I believe as I look, I think that is the most beautiful testimony is to sure. see someone who accepted Jesus early on in life and has remained faithful and continues to grow and hunger after Christ Jesus. And, and uh, uh, they're hungry, they're thirsty for the Lord. And they, they they continue to go and get that water. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you were using the example of the uh, with intentions and motivations, the, the parable, and the one person with the one talent. Well, guess what the other two did? Like, one had ten, one had five. They had different resources. They had different talents. Yeah. But they both get to enjoy the feast because yeah. they were faithful with it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, I don't, we're, if you're a pastor of a thousand or one, and I have been, listen, I've, I grew up in a small church. The last few years at home was in a, in a slightly bigger church. But I grew up in a church where some Wednesday nights it was me and my brother and my sister and my mom and dad, which makes for super awkward Bible study. But <laughs> sometimes it's going to be tiny. Sometimes it's going to be big. There are times of plenty and times of want. There are times of joy and times of sadness. And we have to recognize those things yeah. and live in those things. Because, listen, sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and Jesus doesn't just zap us out of it. Yep. Some, but even yeah. in the valley, even in the mountaintop, 
we are to be faithful. And, and yep. I think that's the thing. So whether our talents are 10 or five, as long as we're not the person, well, even if you have one talent, right? The point isn't what how many talents you have. Even if you're the guy with one talent, what are you going to do? We've got to move on. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was going to let you wrap up. We could we talk about this for hours. Back to the original question because we, we've got to wrap this up. we got a lot of stuff. We're going to have to do the rest of this program rapid fire. Okay. Um, a lot of times people feel like giving up because they're not appreciated or they're getting personal attacks. Mm-hmm. Let the personal attacks, just let them rot. Don't let them bother you. You know, to quote Bane, I was born that in the Batman movie with Bane, he says, you know, you adopted the darkness, but I was born in it. Like I was molded by it. I have been molded in the small church setting, so this is fine with me. That being said, I do desire for church growth in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, don't let personal attacks bother you. I'm somebody who's pretty awkward in person. I, I'm a lot more comfortable with a large group of people in front of the pulpit than dealing with people a little bit one-on-one because I'm just I'm an awkward dude. I don't, I don't small talk well, and I, I have enough self-awareness to realize that. Like, if you want to come over here and talk to me about your day, like, we'll, we'll try to sort that out. I'm a little awkward. But if you want to come over here and talk about, like, a, a Ford Ranger or something like that, I can, I can handle that conversation. But I'm awkward. For other people who, who are a little bit better with their social skills uh, than I am, they, they do find themselves where the personal attacks sting pretty hard mm-hmm. because they, they're, they're used to having good, you know, Report. interactions with people. Yeah. And, and, again, I've been blessed by being awkward all my life, so I'm, I'm used to it. <laughs> But don't let the personal attacks bother you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Now, a lot of times we'll take this and say, oh, well, you know, Peter's telling us, you know, lust, it wars against the soul. But in that same sentence, he tells you, I'm writing to you as pilgrims and strangers. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we have lusted for in the church is affirmation from others. Mm-hmm. You're not guaranteed it. Peter does not connect the concept of stranger and pilgrim to lust warring against the soul for no reason. It is very lustful to desire to be someone who's accepted by other people, to be someone who's always at home. You're going to have to learn to get comfortable being a stranger and a pilgrim. Mm-hmm. And, and we're in a Italian age right now where th- there's a lot of darkness around us. Like, let, There's a lot of people who, we as a creature, we tend to only accept something as truth. We want to live with the consequences of it. Like a lot of people, they'll be like, oh, my car is sucking a lot of oil. I'm just going to ignore that and the problem will go away. And then the car breaks down. Like we, we don't want to recognize the problem. People do this with their health all the time. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm gaining a little bit of extra weight. Maybe I'm not having the energy I did. But there's nothing wrong with me. We won't accept the truth being there because we don't want to have to change. Well, we in modern Christianity, there's been a lot of people in denial about the darkness around us. We do not live in Christendom at all anymore. And evil is... I don't, I don't even know that we ever did live in Christendom. That's like a whole other conversation, but we definitely don't now. And a lot of people don't want to accept the magnitude and extremity of evil, even within our own institutions, things like wolves and sheep's clothing, because they don't want to have to live with the consequences of that. And we need, we don't need to be going back to these same troughs. We don't need to be going back to these same ideas. We don't need to be going back to the same language. But a lot of people, they don't want to accept the fact that it's, it's chaotic and evil, so they'll just ignore it. In the, the church... Personal attacks, they wage war against the soul. Be comfortable being a stranger and pilgrim in these days in which we live. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. If you think you need to be approved by other people, you're going to get eaten by hell. Because hell, the, the extremity of the darkness right now is great. So be comfortable as a stranger and a pilgrim. Don't lust to be at home everywhere. Don't lust to be accepted everywhere. It's okay. If, if the personal attacks come against you, that's, I mean, they, they try to stone Paul. They kind of kill Jesus. They, they kind of <laughs> kill Jesus. They don't do this because they're bad at teaching truth. They do it because they're good at it. Mm-hmm. Stephen does not have the, the teachers of the law turn into toddlers screaming and holding their hands over their ears because he's bad at preaching the gospel, but because he's good at it. So if they're personally attacking you, that's, that's actually a good sign. Um, or it can be a good sign. Not necessarily an absolute, but it's definitely a tell. Hmm. Pastor Mike, you get the smallest word on this. We're 45 minutes into it, and we got like four topics we're going to have well, to go through really quick. we talked about personal attacks, and I think it's it's important to know that, yes, personal attacks do come from people, and they, they come from inside the church a lot. But the true enemy of Satan will often give a personal attack and, 
and try to get you to compare and contrast to others uh, and other others that are receiving, you know, where God's fruit is working abundantly. The What we have to stay focused on is being faithful to the calling of being God's child. And I'll, I, I, that's short. <laughs> Good. I meant, it, I meant it was a good thought, not that it was good. You were short, sorry. Yeah. The miracle. <laughs> the kingdom has come. Okay. So wrapping all that up, when you feel like you should give up, one, for whom are you preaching? Mm-hmm. Then to whom? But who are you motivated to serve? Two, what are you preaching? Where are the roots of that message? I'm going to be straight up, honest. A lot of people are going to get mad when I'm going to say, we need to take the modern, current, credentialed expert class in the church and gone. People wonder why is evangelism so negligent right now, and then they'll turn around and go right back to the same trough. The, the ideas are not great. Go back mm-hmm. to some of the classics. Go back to things which have stood the test of time. The Yeah. Okay. And also, don't worry about the personal attacks. Don't worry about the the ideas. Um, or Excuse me. Don't worry about the language so much as you worry about what are the ideas themselves. Okay. God is king. God is king. That's right. All right. So we got to go through several topics. The next one we're going to talk about real quick is courting versus dating. We were going to spend a lot of time on this. We've got to get through this as quickly as possible, y'all. We all understand this. We're going to go through this really quick. And Pastor Mike's the one who prepared this topic. I'm I'm not prepared to go through this really quick, but go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what. Tell me more. Pastor Mike, can you give the quickest overview of this you've ever given of something in your life? And then we'll respond to it. It would be a miracle. It would be a miracle. <laughs> okay. Well, I believe in miracles, <laughs> but when God is the agent behind them. So God, okay. I'm I'm going to say a prayer while you start this, that God works a miracle. Let's see if we can do it. Dating is more casual. It's more popular. You see it. And, and so, you know, you see a lot of times that it's not very much family oriented in the sense that. It is between just those two people who are going out on a date, and a lot of times it's more about physical attractiveness and seeing if they just, is it going to work, so to speak? Whereas courting involves much more planned, and it starts with the premise of, I want to find a godly uh you know, partner for life. And so it involves not only uh, a lot of times a pastor and others, but it involves the families and the future possibility of in-laws. That's as quick as I can get. Okay. My immediate response is, one, this is not a topic I've thought a huge amount, a huge a lot about. And therefore, when you present the initial language of dating and courting, I don't have a lot of baggage attached to those words simply because I haven't dedicated a lot of time to this. Mm. But it sounds to me like one of the roots, one of the the derivatives that we find this conversation coming from, one of the the sources for this is more immediate gratification versus long-term investment, where Mm -hmm. instead of me just looking at someone's superficial characteristics, you know, I forgot that beauty fades. I forgot that who someone is now at the age 20 is probably not who they're going to be by age 30 and I'm just focusing on that right now and I don't care who the in-laws are what effect that has on my family I'm just diving into that as opposed to a more considered approach that says who are the in-laws what things are being set in motion now and how they're going to play out 10 years from now there's a commitment that comes before pleasure okay Mm -hmm. and I think I think that is what courting really focuses towards, and I know there's probably many different definitions, where I think oftentimes dating puts pleasure and just having, uh, you know, an enjoyable night out or whatever before even thinking about the commitment. Um, and But I, courting definitely is looking at commitment and how God can work in, in, uh, in their lives is you know, bearing witness to the kingdom better together than they can apart before even moving forward into a relationship okay. that, it, that it starts there. All right. Mm-hmm. Pastor, and so if you can't tell, I'm pretty, I, I, I lean one side on, <laughs> okay. uh, on the direction that I, I, I'm favorable of. Pastor Amanda? All right. So I'm going to come at this at a very different angle because I think unlike Pastor Dylan, I come at this with a lot of baggage. Somehow you escaped the fad of the, the youth group in the in the 2000s where there were whole conferences about dating or kissing, dating goodbye and just <sighs> nonsense upon nonsense upon nonsense. So with all that in mind and with all of my baggage rightfully identified within myself, 
I'm going to say, although there are sentiments in this conversation, I totally agree with. I am cautious about the dichotomy we are creating and that there are times to be casual and there are times to be um, not casual. And we just need to have a full and complete understanding of ourselves, our society, and our commitments to one another. And yes, I do agree that our commitment to one another does extend beyond just me and the other person. So there's a lot to consider and we just need to consider all that even in the fun stuff and in the informal and casual. And there are times that I, I, just, I just caution this and recognizing that I come at this with uh, more baggage than maybe either of the other two that are articulating these. And not, well, I'm not disagreeing with some of the premises. I just, if the, I'm afraid that the pendulum may swing too far. And I know we shouldn't just do things because the exception or the rule. I just, I, I am uncomfortable <laughs> with, with some of this. And that's, that is where I will leave it. And for a healthy discussion, well, I think the pendulum has swung way too far on dating, where it's so casual that it takes away the true understanding of commitment to what a relationship should look like. And I see far too many relationships um, ending up with hurts mm. where, and I'm not saying you don't get hurt in courting because often courting, uh, you know, they no, this is not going to work and there are hurts there too. But I think in the, in the long run, you know, um, the holiness and sacredness of the body uh, is mm -hmm. much more, um, look to as, as a whole, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in dating, but in the courtship, the whole kingdom of God and the commitment and the praying. And, and, you know, there's this whole understanding of honoring your mother and father. And we can't leave out that, mm. that, that you know, ignore that thing that says, you know, a man will leave his mother and father and, and become one with his, with his wife. But at the same time, we are never called to stop honoring our mother and father. We should always do that. And, and, and when you enter into a relationship, you will have, you will become one with that, that spouse you're going to have to honor those, you know, where honor is due, of course, mm -hmm. um, to that, that father and, and mother, that in-laws, mm -hmm. mother-in-law and father-in-law. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. me weighing on this, one, the current state of relationships between young men and young women is, is terrible. It's probably as, as worse as it's ever been, like historically. Mm -hmm. uh, but building off Amanda's thing, if, if, if Amanda's animosity with this conversation is the, the fad with the people who write the books, like the man who wrote the book about courtship and then he's now divorced himself, if your animosity is baggage against those things, I'm all for it. Because one, historically, we know that all fads in the church are bad. Mm -hmm. The prophets do not come to call you forward into a new style of things. They always call you backwards. Like, it's amazing that people miss this. They're like, oh, people are so upset about the new upcoming thing. Uh, history tells us the new upcoming thing has like a 100% record of being bad. Yeah. It's always bad. History shows us this. And like, we forget this. There's a level of spiritual immaturity that like thinks that we're and, somehow magical in exception here. It's always bad. But back to the, the premise here. We do have to, to recognize that that putting more discipline into how we do things is always going to work out better than more than the instant gratification. Pastor Mike, really last final words because we got to get through some other things. Real and quick. I'm going to concede here if, if and you know, we was talking about the pendulum and Amanda's right. If, if courtship ever moves to the place where you have other people trying to decide your spouse or arrange marriages, let's just go ahead and say it. Obviously, that is evil and, 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 I, and totally wrong. There has to be, I think, a healthy ground of just acknowledging all of everything mm. in the picture. So, yes. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that. That's I mean, I know fair. the yeah. pendulum swung way it, over yeah, that time, but it, I mean, it does. It's that possibility. Yeah, and this conversation probably deserves more time than we're giving to it because um, it, it's very complex. Because we're dealing not just with a single person, but with community and society and culture and sociology and psychology. Um, and, and I think we just have to always make sure in these conversations. And I'm not saying we haven't done this. I, I just and maybe I'm trying to voice something that's already been said. But we just need to make sure that in these conversations, we are giving space and room for co these conversations, that yeah, we're sure. not shutting down one or the other. 
And I think the church in the fad shut down a whole conversation. When they were trying to give people better tools, they ended up taking all the tools away. Well, that that's basically what we've been doing right now. Yeah. We, we want so bad to be... But we, we, we desire the affirmation from the world so bad we're not willing to go out and say no. We're, we're here are the biblical tools. This is the stuff we should be talking about. Mm. Um, and there is healthy debate within that. That needs to be mm. happening. But right now we don't have that. Right now it's just kind of screaming into the void. Screaming into the void with a lot of people denying that the void is even there. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We're like, oh, yeah, there's, a, there's like a civil war coming. Yeah. It's deserved. It's earned. We serve a just and loving God. It is all earned. Okay, coming along here, the next thing I want to look at is somebody sent me a note. Somebody from within my ministry, my influence here, and I pastor a lot of people who don't necessarily attend directly, though of course I wish they would, <laughs> but they sent me a note. And before I read this note, I want to couch this thing. I, I baptized this family a few years ago, and it was a family that I'd been working for for a long time, working on trying to get them in ba- and baptized. And I had known these people long enough to know that every time something good's about to happen, evil creeps in the day of that good thing. Mm. Like the devil will not let this family have a good holiday, birthday, and it's been habitual for years. And I knew something was going to creep up the day of their baptism. And I'm in rural Tennessee. So are they. And out here, there's a lot of people who live kind of up gravel roads and dirt roads and things where all the mailboxes are collected at the end of the street. And you don't really know which house belongs to which. Well, I had never found these people's house. And I had tried several times. I wasn't even sure which little gravel or dirt road they lived up. Because a lot of them don't have names. They're just all given the same address as the main road. I didn't know exactly where they lived. But the day of their baptism, something evil did creep up to, to prevent that from happening. And I headed out from the church. An hour before service said, and I'm gonna, said, I'm going to go find them. We're going to cast out this evil, and we're going to have this baptism within an hour. I could never find their house before. By some impulse that I'm going to ascribe to the Holy Spirit, I was led to their house, even though numerous times, numerous, numerous times I tried to find their house, couldn't, couldn't find their car or anything. I was led to their house, found them, got the evil cast out. It's a little bit of spiritual warfare there. We came back, and it was a good day in the end. It was a vicious day. It, it was it's one of the most battle. severe spiritual, spiritual battles warfare. we've contended with as a church, but it ended up being a good day. Well, I went by and visited them a couple of days ago, and they sent me this note just today. And they said, I don't know how you know that I really needed that prayer. I suppose God works in mysterious ways sometimes. Seems like I'm at the breaking point. God seems to leave a door unlocked, and all I have to do is open it. Hmm. Now, why is this relevant? Again, we all live in the time of the fall. We're all filled with dark valleys, but how do we respond to them? Their statement here was one that came after reflection. We'd spent a few days, and we come back with gratitude. One, we're grateful that you came by. We're grateful for God and what God has given us. And they also recognize that God has initiated something good in my life. Now there's responsibility on me to accept it and open that door. God unlocked the door. I'm stepping through it. And I want us to kind of comment on this really quickly. It's a great note because so many times in people— so many times in life, people will say, you know, I'm at a breaking point because we, we feel like that a lot. Hmm. But then they they just want God to open the door and then pull them through the door hmm. when in truth they have to step through it. Or maybe God opens the door and they just ignore it and they, they don't want anything at all. There's a lot of times people don't even start by recognizing God. There's no gratitude on the front end. And we're afflicted with an era that doesn't have any gratitude at all. And it's really, really sad. And I thought this was a really beautiful note. And I'll let y'all respond to it real quick. And then we'll have one final point as we close. Yeah, I I think this is, it is beautiful. And and there is a recognition here that uh, of these difficult and harsh realities of our life. And and to know that God is preveniently working. It's always been working. and, And sometimes we don't know exactly where that door is. And uh, sometimes we feel like blowing o- open a, a door ourselves. But this awareness that even in the dark valley or the dark night, that there is something always happening. And the the salvation we're looking for may not always come to us in the ways we want it, but that there is something happening. And what I also love about this is that, Pastor Dylan, you were a means of grace to this family. And they may not have recognized that God was opening a door for them, unless you had you had gone there and shed some light. 
And so we also see in this the awesome responsibility of all believers, not just ministers, but the responsibility of all believers to be a means of grace to the world. And again, that's going to look a thousand different ways, a million, a billion different ways. However many people are on this earth, that's how many different ways plus some that we can show God's grace to others. But there is a responsibility for those who are walking through the valley. Sometimes we get to, although we are not the good shepherd, we can participate and be shepherding uh, to others who journey through those valleys. Sure. Pastor Mike? Yeah, you know, uh, I think like the idea that the gratitude was for, uh, you know, for the prayer. Mm. And so we're called to commune with God. And any time, whether we be lay people, clergy, or whatever, that we can help bring people to communion with God, the appropriate response is gratitude. And so that's very beautiful. And, you know, the, the whole table... Uh, that we go to, the Lord's table, communion. It is that communing, that sharing life with God. And so even a prayer can bring somebody in that presence and the appropriate response is gratitude. So that's mm-hmm. really great. All right. Wrapping up this conversation, I'm going to throw y'all a buy, sell, a hold question. Okay. And this is where I'm really being the bad host and putting my co-host on the spot. <laughs> I have found in my personal life that when it comes to the Holy Spirit's discernment, the Holy Spirit is a little bit different in how it tells me to do things and then how it tells me not to do things. Whenever the Holy Spirit specifically wants me to do something, I usually feel that nudge. Whenever there's some sort of temptation or sin, and I'm saying, should the Holy Spirit tell me not to do it, I usually don't feel anything. In other words, the Spirit is a little bit more silent when you should know better, but then when you are in a moment, you're asking, should I do that? If the answer is yes, you... I, I have found that I genuinely feel the nudge. If the answer is no, I genuinely find that I feel nothing. So I'll let y'all buy, sell a hold on that. And I know that that's like the, the dro- big drop to just crush somebody with. I'll let Pastor Mike go first. Buy, sell a hold real quick. I'll hold. You'll hold? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I, I'd feel that, too, because, I, I, I mean, nothing in your experience is wrong. So I can't say it's wrong. Uh, I could I can also say that I... I think I have felt the opposite on oh, really? some things. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, because there is this idea, like, specifics are hard, but this is what you should know to do is to love one another. So you don't need, like, I don't know. I don't, but again, I've, I have felt the way you have felt. So I, I see what you're saying. Well, I'm talking about, again, the specific context of go out there and find their house. Yeah. Like the impulse that says, we're going to leave the church right now. And, and do that. Yeah. Yeah. My reason for holding is I'm not going to place the Holy Spirit in a box. I'm not ever going to put (laughs) God in a box. God can work in any and many different ways. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say Pastor Mike held. Well, actually, I'm going to say he sold because he's he's rejecting the premise outright. So that would be a sell. I'm going to say Amanda's selling, too, because she kind of affirmed the opposite. So. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. And I think there is some some truth to it. I think, though, depending on our, our psychology, we're going to feel it differently. I feel it like okay. in the pit of my stomach when I should or shouldn't be doing something. Um, but if, it, if there is a strong emotion, my stomach is upset. And so sometimes it is hard to distinguish between the no and the yes uh, oh, okay. because it feels okay. the same. So, okay. I, 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 yeah, I would. Again, I think I get what you're saying and I agree with what you're saying, but I wouldn't. We, we should almost home. have a whole question. Just we Sorry. should almost have a whole program in this. Yeah, All right. I, I, I'm with you. We're, we're past time, so we got to wrap Okay, we're up. wrapping up. Final thoughts. If you could have one movie, mm. it's the only movie you get to watch for the rest of your life, we will permit trilogies if, or series of movies, if they're all the same story. So it can't be something like The Chronicle of Narnia where they're all in the same universe but follow different stories. Something like The Lord of the Rings would fit in that um but the MCU would not. Mm. Okay, so one movie. It's the only movie you get to watch ever again. You can watch it as much a lot, as much as you want, or as little as you like. Pastor Mike. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade: The Quest for the Holy Grail. Mm. Okay, that's fair enough. Pastor Amanda. I'm gonna have to go with Lord of the Rings. Specifically, if I had to only watch one of them, it would be a tie between the Two Towers and the The Return of the King. It would depend on my mood. 
But yeah, they are kind of basically one consecutive story just spanning 12 hours, which is the the selling point in that. You have a lot of meat and a lot of material. <laughs> Good um, choice. You're, you're not going to... Uh, there's a whole universe in which to be explored and, and to live into. Okay. Uh, so I think I'll go with those. And as much as I don't like to fasten myself to seasonal items, <laughs> I'm about to fasten myself to a seasonal item. It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Oh, yeah. That, that movie... Is one of the most moving things. Mm-hmm. I am not an emotional man. You're not going to see me cry at almost anything. A lot of things just do not move me. The scene in 1917 where the little girl, or excuse me, where the young lady is there with the baby. My own family history, knowing my great aunt, that there were a lot of children that starved to death, a lot of people that starved to death. That moved me to the point of tears because I knew that the result of that family was almost certainly death. Or not even a real family, just a baby, random woman, and young man. When I watch It's a Wonderful Life, it is one of the most moving things ever. Mm. I think it's one of the most biblically biblically adept films that's not explicitly theological. I actually think the angel, Clarence, is the weakest (laughs) theological element in the whole movie. But the whole purpose of the movie is God has a design for, for men and women, and the greatest adventure is actually that of the family. You always think that you need to leave your hometown and neighborhood to go and find that adventure when in truth staying there in that community in which you were born having a family that is of more value than any train plane adventure ever and it's hard to see and it's hard to see but the way that that movie is done i generally watch it twice a year usually watch the black and white version and then the colorized version thereafter um and i moved every time i watch it i love that movie it is phenomenal but it's a wonderful life you're a fan of jimmy stewart i do like jimmy stewart yeah but you see them come home and he, he's just happy. I'm going to jail. Like <laughs> the fact that he's so excited about that, he now understands the purpose of life. And he understands a level of the natural law of how God designed Adam and Eve that he did not have at the beginning of the movie. And even without it explicitly preaching that to you, it teaches you so much mm-hmm. about how God made mankind in that movie. It's phenomenal. It's cast perfectly. Mary and George Bailey are just Perfect. Every hardship in that movie that he went through was a means of grace of being able to help others. And I also despise romance movies. I don't know (laughs) if that would be considered a romance movie. Uh, I despise a lot of movies of that genre, but I crave that movie. Yeah, I crave it. It's elements of romance there for sure. Yeah, but it's not a. It's not like no. A, I wouldn't put it on the Hallmark Channel, but it's probably been on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's too. It's, it's too. That's yeah, too, too much on, quality. Too much quality on Oh no, that's where we're gonna get people mad. Alrighty, now thank you, really you all for <laughs> for joining us and our our bad takes. May God love you. May mercy triumph over judgment, and in all things. Christ is Lord. Amen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.